0: Hello, I'm Andrew Suskind and I'm a psychotherapist and author based in West Los Angeles since 1992 specializing in trauma and addictions. Welcome to our podcast, which I call It's Not About the Sex, also the title of my recent book. Here we focus on all topics related to compulsive sexual behavior, often referred to as sex addiction. In particular, we explore ways to build long-term sustainable recovery while establishing more meaningful connection and greater intimacy. Our intention is to offer fresh viewpoints, brand new perspectives, and practical user-friendly tools toward living a more deeply connected life. Let's get started. El Michelle, LMFT, is a psychotherapist practicing in Los Angeles who specializes in the treatment of trauma and borderline personality disorder. She is trained in EMDR, brain spotting, trauma resiliency model, and DBT, and has also worked in community psychology as well as several prominent treatment centers here in Los Angeles. Thank you so much for being with us, Elle. I really appreciate you you joining us.
1: Oh, yeah. It's great to be here, Andrew. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah. And, And one thing that I am very excited about is that we haven't talked about DBT or dialectical behavior therapy here on the podcast. And that's going to be the main focus of of today's podcast yeah. is, is DBT skills for recovery from addiction and trauma. So I'm just so glad to have you here today.
1: Awesome. Thanks.
0: Yeah. So with that said, why don't we start with the foundation? So trauma is something that has become almost a buzzword in in our profession and with Mm -hmm. our clients. And I'm wondering if you could share a little bit more specifically about your take on what trauma really is and and also what complex trauma is.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So um, trauma, I see trauma as basically any event that is disturbing, overwhelming, threatening. And then um, one interesting thing about trauma is that Two different people can go through the same event that is considered to be traumatic, but one person can walk away with that having symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder, meaning they have some really strong negative impact on their mental health from the trauma. And the other person can walk away without those symptoms. And that depends a lot upon, you know, each individual person's brain chemistry, and actually whether they have a history prior to that event of having been through other traumatic events and kind of their vulnerability to being impacted by trauma. Um, So with trauma, it's not even so much about the specific event. It's about really how your brain and your body processes the event. Mm -hmm. Um, So a lot of different things can be considered traumatic. Um, We have you know, one way of thinking about it is kind of big T trauma and little T trauma. So big T trauma is like shock trauma, like one really bad event, like maybe a really dangerous car accident or a plane crash or the sudden death of, of someone close to you. Mm -hmm. Um, whereas little T trauma is, um, speaks to kind of events that taken individually might not be so severe, but these events tend to happen multiple times over months or years. Their effects tend to be cumulative. So this could be like, um, bullying or neglect, emotional or physical neglect from a parent. Well, physical neglect would probably be more in the big T trauma category, Mm -hmm. but, um, you know, having a, having a parent or a caregiver who's not really emotionally attuned, who's not really emotionally available, um, that going on over time can have some pretty serious effects for people.
0: Right. And, and if I can add, um, what you're sharing and I think everything you're saying is, is so important for our listeners to hear is that oftentimes trauma is based on events that are just too much to process at the time. Right. Right. And that's when it gets stored in in the brain and, and when the body shows symptoms oftentimes, right? And right. Yeah, and and so part of what we're talking about really is is the brain body connection and how vulnerable we are as human beings, right? Right, totally. Yeah, and and so- there Go ahead, please.
1: So, yeah. So any event that really overwhelms our nervous system ends up being stored in our brain as trauma Mm
0: -hmm, and our body. Exactly. So there's this other term that that has come up called complex trauma. And I'm wondering if you could share a little bit more about that.
1: Yeah. So complex trauma is basically just a way of distinguishing between someone who's experienced maybe one big T trauma, like one um, really strong traumatic event versus with complex trauma, it's basically more complex. So we're talking about um, trauma that occurred typically during somebody's early childhood, during key developmental periods in their life, when um, their identity was really forming. Um, We're talking about trauma that oftentimes may have been the result of someone very close to the person a caregiver a family member um and we're talking about events and experiences that are repetitive prolonged and cumulative so this could Mm. be like childhood abuse that went on um, over months or years this could be severe bullying this could be um just an unstable, chaotic environment. And one of the things we see with complex trauma, in terms of the symptoms people tend to develop, is that oftentimes with complex trauma, people develop a pretty complex assortment of symptoms. So mm. people may have the traditional trauma symptoms, which are like, you know, flashbacks and avoidance of talking about the traumatic event and emotional dysregulation. But with complex trauma, people also might develop um, some type of addictive behavior. There can be disordered eating. There can be um, symptoms of borderline personality disorder, which mm-hmm. is technically its own diagnosis. But more and more, we're seeing borderline personality disorder really as a function of trauma mm-hmm. and as a function of complex trauma. Um so the symptoms that people, when people come in with this assortment of symptoms where they have an eating disorder, they have a substance abuse problem, they're suicidal, they self-harm, mm-hmm. they have kind of this wide variety of symptoms. That's a that's a key to for me as a clinician thinking, oh, there's it's pretty likely that this person had some some sort of complex trauma going on in their early childhood.
0: Mm, sure. So so I don't know about you but but in my practice nowadays complex trauma is more the norm than than not yes right absolutely so so we're talking about layers and layers of of issues of of historic kinds of events that haven't been addressed and people function I mean I, I think people are kind of amazing the way they find survival strategies but at the same time you're right those those various kinds of symptoms start to mushroom and we see more problematic issues and, um, and actually more dangerous issues. And I, yeah. I wanted to go back to something you said, because I know you're a specialist in borderline personality disorder. And you mentioned that nowadays, there's a lot of attention to the idea that borderline personality actually is rooted in complex trauma. Can you say a little bit more about that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So we're seeing more and more with all of the um, mental health diagnoses that they're kind of grouped together in groups of symptoms without giving a ton of attention to the origin of those symptoms. And we're seeing for a lot of diagnoses, the origin of the symptoms more often than not is trauma or complex trauma. Um, So particularly with borderline personality disorder, we're seeing that. And um, Marsha Linehan, who is a psychologist who developed borderline personality disorder originally in the 80s, she writes about that quite a bit in her initial writings on borderline personality disorder, which I abbreviate as BPD, just um, for short. Um, But she writes about how many, many, I, I forget the exact percentage, but many, many clients who end up becoming diagnosed with BPD Um, do have some history oftentimes of early childhood sexual trauma or, you know, severe neglect or things like that. Um, So she writes about that intersection and more and more that's starting to be acknowledged.
0: Fantastic. So you're really reminding us that some of the pioneers like Marsha Linehan have introduced the most effective treatments for for borderline personality, complex trauma, etc. And it's so interesting, because I finished grad school in the early 90s, and almost everything around trauma was cognitive behavioral therapy. That was the Uh. the go-to. We didn't have any of these other possibilities. And and so I'm wondering, as we're talking about helpful treatments, if you could share a little bit more about the cutting-edge treatments that are available for trauma and complex trauma today.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, So to understand the treatments that are available, we really have to understand the brain and the body. And the brain has multiple parts, but for simplicity, we'll divide it into the neocortex, which is kind of behind the forehead, which does reason and logic and language, and the subcortex, which is everything else, which is where our emotions happen and our memories and our physiological responses. And then of course, there's the body, which is our breathing, our heart rate, our digestion. So the more we understand about trauma, we understand that trauma is stored in the body and in the brain in ways that go a lot deeper than just the neocortex. So, um, somebody can fit, can, um, intellectually understand you know i'm safe i'm not in danger but the the lower part of the brain the subcortex can still be sending really strong signals to the person telling them that they are in fact in danger so this is where there's this kind of internal disconnect so in order to address that you know traditional cognitive behavior therapy really just addresses the neocortex the logic the language, the um, kind of rational part of the brain. So some other modalities that have been developed to address kind of the whole body system with trauma are EMDR, brain spotting, and somatic experiencing. Um, And I'm trained in EMDR and brain spotting. I'm trained in trauma resiliency model, which is based on somatic experiencing. So there's some overlap there. But Basically, these three modalities really, um, really address the physiological aspects of how trauma is stored in the brain and in the body. Um, brain spotting and EMDR use what's called bilateral stimulation, mm-hmm. which is basically just tapping or stimulating each side of the body back and forth. There's something kind of magical about bilateral stimulation that we found that really helps change the way trauma is stored in the brain. Um, And then of course, DBT is, you know, DBT is not traditionally seen as a modality for trauma, but um, it can be really helpful. There's some aspects of DBT that can be really helpful for um, helping trauma survivors, particularly people who've been through complex trauma.
0: Mm -hmm. Right. And and we're going to get back to DBT in just a moment. But what I wanted to share with you is I'm I'm so impressed that you have trained in all of these different modalities, because most of these modalities were not even around in the early 90s. Yeah. And I don't know if our listeners realize this, because it's becoming such a part of our language and our understanding of trauma treatment nowadays. But Really, EMDR, which started in the early 90s, and then somatic experiencing beyond that, and then brain spotting in 2003, and of course, the trauma resilience model somewhere in the midst of all that, are are all really, really new. And like you said, before they were available to us as, as clinicians and as clients, we were really trying hard to work on all this in the neocortex in the in the thinking brain. And I know that I was just running into walls left and right. And I just love that that you have immersed yourself in all these areas because nowadays we know that the brain body connection is where the healing truly takes place.
1: Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: Absolutely.
0: So I'm wondering, since you are trained in DBT or dialectical behavior therapy developed um, by by Marsha Linehan, if you could share with our listeners a little bit more in detail about what DBT is all about.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So DBT was developed by Marsha Linehan in the 80s. And basically, she was working with um, patients in the psych ward who were really, really struggling, and she was finding that traditional cognitive behavior therapy, which is abbreviated CBT, um, wasn't working for them and was actually, for some of them, making their symptoms worse. So she developed DBT as kind of an answer to this problem. Um, So DBT really focuses on teaching people skills, um, coping skills and life skills, and really teaching people what to do when they feel really bad. Um, DBT typically involves three different components, which is individual therapy, group therapy. And in group therapy, it's less for DBT. It's less about kind of processing and talking through things. It's more about learning skills. The group tends to be pretty didactic. Um, And then the third element that DBT brings in, which is um, not really seen as traditional in other kinds of therapy is called phone coaching. And so phone coaching means that the client can call the therapist in between their sessions. Like let's say session is on a Thursday and the client is in distress on a Monday. The client doesn't have to just wait until their Thursday session. They can call and these days text the therapist and say, "Hey." I'm really struggling. Do you have any suggestions or any pointers? And the therapist will get on the phone and kind of, you know, these calls usually take 10 minutes. They're not intensive calls. It's not like we're doing a whole nother therapy session, but get on the phone and address the issue in real time as it's happening. Mm. Um. So this, these are kind of like the three components of DBT and then in terms of the skills dbt teaches there's four um there's four types of skills so dbt has a big emphasis on mindfulness skills and dbt was doing mindfulness way back in the 80s before mindfulness was this buzzword that everyone was into and actually when when dbt started incorporating mindfulness there was a lot of skepticism from the professional community about what is this hippy dippy kind of BS stuff. Mm-hmm. And so it's only now that Western medicine has kind of vetted mindfulness and proven it to be effective in terms of all of these different ways of reducing symptoms. Mm-hmm. Um, so DBT teaches mindfulness. It teaches interpersonal effectiveness skills, which is basically a fancy way of saying social skills. Mm-hmm. Um, So how to, how to request things that you want in a relationship, how to say no to unwanted requests, how to assert yourself. Um, DBT teaches emotion regulation skills, which I feel like is kind of a fancy way of just saying how to feel better, Mm -hmm. you know, how to feel better when you're, when you're not feeling great. And then the last component DBT teaches is distress tolerance skills and distress tolerance is really about how to get through a crisis, um, without making it worse. Mm. So this is like when somebody, um, maybe has urges to Mm self-harm and, you know, sometimes those urges can be really strong. So how does the person get through those urges without acting on them and without doing something harmful?
0: So one thing I'm, I'm hearing you say is that dbt is skills based yes and so there's something different about that approach that that really i think is is very much like almost like taking a class in a way like taking a a class totally yeah and and so there's there's really a i don't know when i hear you talk about those four areas i feel like each and every one of us could benefit from dbt
1: Totally. (laughs) That's one of the things I love about DBT is like as a DBT therapist, it's so it's so useful and it's so helpful. And actually in the DBT skills group, the the group is set up for the therapists to kind of model the use of skills. So the therapist, you know, the group starts with a check in. The groups are typically co-led. That's the original format. So there's two therapists in a group. And each therapist checks in and talks about how their week went and what skills they used and how those skills were helpful for them. So there's this um, kind of self-disclosure aspect that you don't find in traditional like psychoanalysis or whatever.
0: Mm -hmm. So there's a real role modeling, a mentoring in a sense. Exactly. That's fantastic. So it, it really is a way for everyone to be in it together. Mm-hmm. It's not hierarchical in that way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I'm wondering, as we're talking about DBT, I, I, I really do believe it, it's beneficial for anybody. It, it just has so many li- um, relevant skills that, that we can all benefit from. But since we're talking about trauma and addiction today. I'm wondering if you can break that down for us and talk a little bit about how DBT is helpful for treating addiction right, or, or right. any kind of addictive compulsive behavior.
1: Totally. So absolutely. So one of the key components of addiction is that at its core, addiction, all, all forms of addictive behavior are really about emotion regulation. So they're really about, you know, I feel not great. I feel a compulsion. I feel an urge. How do I regulate my emotions? How do I feel better? And typically with addiction, it involves doing some kind of addictive or compulsive behavior. So, DBT, the emphasis on emotion regulation through healthy or or non-harmful behaviors um, is a really significant way that DBT can be helpful with treating addiction. And oftentimes, This looks like, you know, what do I actually do when it feels like every cell in my body is telling me to use or to do a behavior, an addictive behavior or to act out or whatever? Mm -hmm. What do I actually do to get through that? Mm -hmm. Um, So. DBT can be really helpful with teaching people emotion regulation skills, just how to get through the day without acting out on their addictive behaviors Um, And then also tolerating those, those more intense urges when they come up. Um, And the other piece that, that DBT gets into that's not, I think, as well known is that there's a component of DBT that really helps people kind of identify our values and identify, you know, what is a life worth living look like to me? And that's, Mm. that's kind of the DBT language. Like, how do we create a life worth living? What does that look like for me? What does that incorporate? Um, and with addiction, oftentimes, for people who are kind of in the crux of of the addiction, it's hard to imagine what life would even look like without the addictive behaviors and how they would mm-hmm. kind of get through get through the day or get through the night without them. So DBT can be helpful in that aspect as well for addiction.
0: Right. And and when you said that idea of what makes life worth living, it's very much a positive psychology approach. Right. And there's something really powerful about not focusing on what's wrong, but focusing on what's going right. Totally. And, and what is that vision of a life worth living? And that that's beautiful. I'm so glad you you introduced that piece. And I was yeah. thinking as you were talking, Al, does somebody have to go to an, a DBT group? Or let's say they gave you a call and said, you know, I'm interested in doing some DBT. Can I work with you one-on-one? Is that a possibility?
1: Absolutely, yes. Yeah. So there's, um, there's comprehensive DBT and then there's DBT informed. And it's kind of a spectrum. So comprehensive DBT is when someone is doing DBT individual and DBT group and DBT phone coaching and kind of like the whole shebang. Um, And then there's DBT informed, which is what I do with many of my clients where um, they're not in group. They maybe utilize phone coaching. Maybe sometimes they don't. And it's just individual therapy with kind of a focus on DBT. And I kind of pull from whatever skills I think might be useful or, 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 helpful for them Um, And then we might throw in some EMDR in there also, or some brain spotting in there also. So we can really um, pull from a variety of different approaches.
0: Fantastic. I mean, that's so important for me to know and for listeners to know that there's not a one size fits all for this. No. That there are various ways of plugging into the DBT skills. And one of the things I just was thinking again as you were talking is, you know that I see a lot of folks in my practice with problematic sexual behaviors. And I thought about DBT at times, it, it, it crosses my mind, but as we're talking, I really believe that this would fill out their toolbox in a way that would be very meaningful. And yeah. as we know with complex trauma and addictions, it, it often does take a village for somebody to heal. And yeah. and so, I, I'm just very enthusiastic as we're talking about the possibility of of having some folks either find their way to you collaboratively, or or to to move their their support in your direction, or to colleagues, because these skills are are really foundational to to um, to, to deeper healing. In addition, of course, to the um, to the brain body work that of course Absolutely. is so important. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And that's great to hear. And I, I think you're right about that. You know, that's kind of why I got interested in DBT because I really like working with um, people who have kind of more intense stuff going on, uh, more complex stuff going on. And it's great to just be able to give them all the tools that, that are available.
0: For sure. And, and, not everything resonates for everyone. And so right. sometimes it does take a little shopping around to figure that out. But but I think what, what happens nowadays more and more is that when we're thinking about a client with various kinds of trauma or complex trauma, oftentimes there's this automatic beeline to EMDR, brain spotting, somatic experiencing, those kinds of things, and... I'm wondering how you how DBT can either be a a supplement to all of that or or how they work together. If you could talk yeah. a little bit about that,
1: absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So so when I get a call from from a new client, um, typically I get calls from people wanting to do trauma work, and the first thing I assess for is safety. So if there's any self harm going on or any suicidal thoughts going on. Um, that's a big clue to me that some DBT might be useful and helpful. Um, so I, I frequently get calls from people who've heard about EMDR or brain spotting and they want to kind of dive into that work, but they're also having urges to self-harm or maybe they're actively engaging in self-harm or maybe they're kind of in the throes of an addictive behavior. Um, so that's when I'll educate them about, you know, for trauma work, that kind of work can be really, really activating and intense. And the first thing we have to establish is safety. Um, so with those clients, I'll start off with some DBT and really teaching them ways to cope with urges, ways to tolerate their emotions that don't involve self-harm or don't involve suicidal thoughts. Um, and we'll kind of get the person stabilized in that sense um, and kind of grounded before we jump into that more intense trauma work.
0: Right. So, so safety, of course, is is number one. I also hear you saying that because you have an overview or kind of a bird's eye view on on what folks really can benefit from you, you really determine with them what the entry point would be. right? What, what would be most effective. Right. Yeah, and, and that's something that not all clinicians have in their in their uh, you know, clinical belt. So I, I just wanted to say that I think that's a fantastic way of looking at things is how are we going to pe- keep people safe? And then, what would make sense? What would be the 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 best priority to, right. to start the healing process? Is that right? Right,
1: absolutely, yeah,
0: yeah. So one of the things I'm, I'm wondering, just in general, as we're talking today, L, is what brought you into this particular kind of work, and if you could share just a little bit about what what makes this particular focus of of Complex trauma treatment, DBT treatment—something that that you have um, chosen to specialize in.
1: Yeah, um, it's funny because I kind of joke that you know I have alcoholism in my family mm-hmm. and mental illness in my family, and um, and a lot of recovery in my family as well. Um, but I'm very very comfortable with people who. Present with some of the more intense symptoms that might scare away other clinicians. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't phase me in that sense. Um, I feel like I'm right at home. (laughs) (laughs) Right, exactly. Um, So, um, and I've also, you know, I'm also in recovery and I have been in therapy on and off throughout my life and I have benefited tremendously from. EMDR and brain spotting and DBT. And so being on the other side of the couch, being the client with those modalities and just seeing like how powerful they are and how life changing they are, um, really is what motivated me to say, I want to do this. You know, I want to help people in these ways.
0: No, thank you for, for sharing that. And I, I, can echo all of those sentiments that sometimes, um, we, uh, can only tolerate, um, the kinds of clients that, that we have had our own experiences with. Right. Uh, And, and that's, (laughs) that's the good news. And it's also the, the growing edge for, for you and for me. And I, um, I think that it's important, you know, for our listeners to understand that this is not easy work. You know, it's very, very gratifying work, but it's, it, we never know the complexity of what's going to walk into our office. And, and I think it's, it's a brave kind of work and also, um, you know, an extremely satisfying kind of work when, when together side by side, we get to see somebody, um, really find their way through it and, and have a more stable and enjoyable and, um, purposeful life,
1: right? It's incredibly gratifying. I that's one of the things I really love about this work is that, um, I get to work with a lot of clients who are really willing and really engaged and you see their, their lives change week by week and it's cool. It's just, it's powerful to watch that.
0: Yeah. It, it really keeps me coming back as well. I, I feel so grateful that, that I get to do this kind of work and um, grateful that I have colleagues like you who are out there to also be doing this, this work as well. So with that said, I, I so appreciate you being with us today, Elle. It's been such a pleasure. And I, I just wanted to mention uh, your website and email address for our listeners. Um, Elle's website is www.elmichellepsychotherapy.com, and I'll spell that for you. It's E-L-L-E-M-I-C-H-E-L psychotherapy.com, and the email address is very similar, psychotherapy at gmail.com. So once again, Thank you so much for being here with us. I, I really, really do appreciate it. And this I'm sh- was
1: so great, Andrew. Thank you for having me.
0: Sure. My pleasure. And I'm sure we'll be crossing paths sometime soon.
1: Awesome. I love it.
0: All right. Take good care.
1: Okay. You too. Uh-huh. Bye.
0: Bye bye. Thanks for listening today. It was so terrific sharing this time with my very talented colleague, L. Michelle, and discussing this really significant topic of DBT, also known as dialectical behavior therapy. Be sure to give us a five-star rating on iTunes or please share our podcast on Spotify. And if, if there are any other topics you would like us to discuss in the future, please let us know. I look forward to you joining us on future podcasts and thanks again for being with us today.